The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28, and uh, we're going to continue... Uh, this week, last week, we talked about loving God and loving people. We broke the mission of Love City Church into two pieces, uh, loving God and loving people, which we discussed last week, and this week, we're going to talk about the importance of making disciples. Before I jump into that, I just want to say how much I genuinely love and appreciate this church, because I had a few conversations this week uh, with people that were here last week, and um, I don't know that any groundbreaking new material about loving God and loving people was presented last week when we talked about it. That's something that, you know, we were kind of working that principle that Paul talks about in Philippians. Like, it's, it, it, doesn't do, it doesn't do me any harm to repeat this to you, and it's for your benefit and your protection that you, re, you rehear these things. It's if, you know, the premise of last week is loving God and loving people is the, the great highest command, greatest responsibility of every Christian, right? Um, and and the, the highest command throughout the scriptures is to love God and love people. So, we, we talk about that a lot. It gets woven in through a lot of what we do because we, we really believe that. So um, not that there was anything new, but uh, just I, I'm so appreciative that you guys don't have to have something new that blows your minds in order to receive God's word and, and really think about it, obey it, you know, chew on it, and do something with it. And so I just had a couple conversations this week where people said how, uh, just how blessed they were and how eager they were to obey what it was God was teaching us through his word last week. And so I, I know it's a rare thing we have here in that you guys are willing to do that. Um, and so I I'm just, just want you to know I'm thankful. So uh, we, we are going to talk this week about the importance of making disciples. Um, we're going to do that out of Matthew 28. Before I read the verses, I want to just set the stage in this way. If we're going to talk about the importance of making disciples, which I would say is if, if loving God and loving people are the first and foremost highest responsibility of every Christian, according to the scriptures, according to Jesus, according to all of his disciples who weighed in on the subject, I, I would say that making disciples is, is next in line. It's, it's next in line of importance from Jesus' perspective. And for us here at Love City, we endeavored to keep our mission and our focus um, right in line as close as possible with the focus and the emphasis of Jesus. Why wouldn't we? Right? We're following him, right? He's, he's the king. Um, I think that's reflected even in our name. It's funny, I told somebody this week while we were in Mexico, there was another team that came down at the end. It was like, oh, who are you? We're doing all the pleasantries and whatnot. And they wanted to know uh, the name of the church. And I told him it's Love City Church. And he stopped for a minute. He's like, that's pretty cool. The mission's right there in the name. I said, you got it, man. I wanted to give him something. Like, you, you get a prize, you know what I mean? You get it, yes, yes, that, yeah, that is why, yes. Because it's, it's who we are. We want to be a city within the city that is a source of, of God's love and 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 a, a force for redefining love through the scriptures. And, and so it's who we are, but it's also what we do, man. God put us here in this time and place to love this city well to the glory of his name. And so um, we, we, are, we, are, we try to stick really close to what it is Jesus emphasized. All the rest of what the Bible talks about is gonna, it, it's gonna flow in and out and through those primary things, but we, we wanna stay close to those primary things because you can get distracted real easy. So uh, last week was Loving God, Loving People. If you weren't here or missed it for some reason, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, this week we'll talk about making disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple, it's, it's a word that's fallen out of favor, um, kind of like sermon, right? Like a lot of people now, will, will, they will describe what I'm doing now as giving a talk. I'm not going to get on my high horse about it. You guys know how I am about language, and I'm not going to rail on this one. I just want to say sometimes... I understand what we're trying to do sometimes in, in, in the Christian world. We're trying to f- use words that people are familiar with so that it doesn't sound weird, right? Because sermon is like a, it's not a word you use every day, right? It's, it's, it's different. It's distinct. And I, I just would, I just want to raise my hand and say, yay. Like, it's good sometimes to have a different word for something. Like, what I'm doing I sincerely hope is different than a TED Talk, right? TED Talks are great. I listen to them. They are informative. Those guys are better at speaking publicly than I am, for the most part. However, uh, we're not here to measure my public speaking ability every week, and this, to me, is something more than a talk. We are opening the Holy Scriptures of God and expecting the Holy Spirit to speak through them to us 
uh, and there's something sacred about it. So I'm going to call it a sermon. You can do what you want with it, and I'm not going to mess with anybody else that doesn't do that. I just think we, sh- we should have some different words because we're doing something different than anyone else is doing. Amen. There's another one. <laughs> um, so disciple, okay? What is a disciple? A disciple is, in one way, is like a, in a broad sense, a disciple is like a student, but it's more than that because a student is willing to learn something. A disciple is somebody that is not only willing to learn something but so deeply believes in that thing that they're willing to then teach it to others. Um, and that, so that would be in a broad sense the definition. For our intents and purposes, when we talk about a disciple, we're talking about a follower of Jesus. And the plainest language I can boil it down to, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. But those other things are also true in it. They're going to be a student of the master, a student of the scriptures, somebody that not only believes the scriptures, believes the gospel, but believes it with such passion uh, that they're willing to lay down their life for the furthering of that message they've learned. Okay, so the, the only other thing I would add to that, and this is maybe something you've not heard as much or thought about, I believe if you are a disciple, a true disciple, is also a disciple maker. That those, are, those two are inextricably connected. If you are a disciple of Jesus, particularly, you're going to be a disciple maker. Those things go together. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about why that is as we move through this. So we're in Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 16 through 20 together. This is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus gave a lot of commands. Jesus gave a lot of insight um, and poured out a lot of wisdom in the time that he was on the earth ministering. Um, but I, I believe this is aptly named the Great Commission. This, is, this does rise above uh, in importance, relevance, and need for emphasis um, Please don't misunderstand me. Every single thing that Jesus said rises above everything else, all other knowledge and relevance and importance. But some things Jesus said, it's okay to say this, are more important, do deserve more focus. Loving God, loving people is a couple of those things, or one thing, depending on how you think about it. The second is to make disciples. Here's here's part of why. Okay, this is, this is, here's, what's the setting? Jesus has risen from death. Um... He has, doesn't necessarily tell us all of this in Matthew, but based on the other Gospels, we know he's um, appeared to many of his disciples. He's appeared to 500 people at one time, it says later on in the New Testament. Jesus has been doing some stuff, and now he's at the end of his post-resurrection comeback, right? Like, this, <laughs> he, he dies on the cross, rises from death, does another tour, um, around the ancient world, and then now he's about to go to be with the Father. These, the, we're about to read the last words Jesus gives to the men he focused on teaching and discipling over the last three years. These are the last words he gives them, which means, I think, they're probably fairly important. I hope you agree. Let's read them together. Starting in verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise God. All right, this is deep. There's a lot going on here. Um, first of all, one, one thing I want to point out is, I, I think this, this is an iron, these, these scriptures provide an ironclad description of why disciple making should be something we're thinking about, should be something we're talking about, and should be something that we're doing. First premise, disciple making is important. It's important to the Lord Jesus, so it should be important to us, his followers, okay? So that, I think, I don't think I need to work real hard on that one. I, I, I assume if you're a follower of Christ, you're, you're buying into that, that disciple-making, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that that call, that commission is important, something should, we should pay attention to, seek to obey God in, right? Um, that ties back to the loving God and loving people, right? Jesus said uh, in the book of John that if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so because we do love him first, uh, we want to obey him. And, and one of the primary ways we're going to obey him is in making disciples, okay? So it is important, and it's also really hard. 
It's really hard. I think you can see that here. How does, how does Jesus start? First of all, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And then he ends with this, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he starts this command by saying, all authority has been given to me. And then he ends it with saying, I'm going to be with you. You can almost hear this recognition from the Lord that what he's laying upon the disciples is a huge call. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be incredibly difficult. And the disciples were not ignorant to this fact because what had they just got done doing? They just got done being discipled for the last three years. They knew exactly what it cost Jesus to disciple them. How did he start his ministry? Right from the jump, he goes and starts grabbing people and saying, come on, come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to be a fisher of men. Come on, come follow me. I'm going to teach you the ways of God, right? And so uh, Jesus spent the entirety of his earthly ministry doing a lot of things, but all of it was connected to that mission of discipling those men because Jesus knew the plan. He knew that he was going to die, he was going to rise, he was going to ascend, and he was going to leave these guys with the responsibility to spread then the gospel. And so, um, you know, not only does he say, go therefore and make disciples, he says, of all nations, right? So Jesus' vision is global for this disciple-making mission, right? So he doesn't say, all right, if you guys get Jerusalem done, that's going to be a big job. Just You can rest after that. No. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. I'm calling you guys to pour your life into other people to the degree that I have done with you in order to make disciples out of them and keep that going until it hits all the way to the ends of the earth. So I see this. Jesus understands this is difficult. That's why he says, first of all, guys, remember, all authority is mine. All right? Just remember that. I know there's some scary stuff out there. There's going to be opposition to this disciple-making effort, right? The, the, the governing authorities at the time were not real hip on Jesus and his message. But don't, don't forget, guys, all authority has been given to me. And then he ends it after he tells them what he's asking them, which is go make disciples of all nations. He says, I'm going to be with you. I know I'm asking a lot, but remember, I'm going to be with you. Remember, you're not doing this in your strength. You're doing this with my strength. I'm going to be with you. And he's, there's also in there, you know, he's, he's reminding them again uh, to some degree that he's promised several times leading up to this, he's going to send them a helper in the Holy Spirit. And so they're going to be anointed for this task with power from on high. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's part of what Jesus says. And, you know, Jesus doesn't speak a whole lot directly in Acts, but right at the beginning of Acts, chapter 1, around verse 8, the disciples, what they want to know from Jesus is, okay, when is the end going to get here? They're super stoked about and want to hear about, okay, Jesus, when, when are you going to come back and finally finish this thing up, right? You know, this, this end promise when you're going to come and vanquish all the enemies, make, you know, make every enemy your footstool, and, and, and all these things are going to be done, and your kingdom's going to be established. And what does Jesus say? He says, guys, Essentially, he says, quit focusing on the end and focus on what I'm telling you to do right now. He says, it's not for you to know times and epochs, right? It's not for you to know when the end is. Here's what's going to happen. My power is going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth, right? And I think that's informative for us today because I think sometimes people get, in, get inordinately focused upon eschatology and the focus of end things. I'm not saying you can't look into that or be encouraged by the fact that Jesus has promised to bring this thing to a wrap. However, do what you want with this. The disciples seemed real focused on, what about the end things, Jesus? What about, what, what about this thing that's going to happen at this, at this future point that you've promised? And he's like, hold on, that's not for you to worry about. Here's what you need to worry about. My power is coming upon you, and I'm calling you to be my witnesses. That's what we're doing right now. Go preach the gospel. Go make disciples. Do with that what you want. Praise God. I know there's some people on YouTube disagree with that, but there you go. Um, it's not just making disciples of all the nations that's a big call, okay? There's, I think there's several reasons Jesus starts with saying, all authority has been given to me, guys. Remember that. Secondly, I'm going to be with you. I realize I'm giving you a task right now you can't accomplish. But remember, all authority is mine, and I'm with you. Part of that is because, yes, the scope of the mission is to go to all the nations and make disciples, but also Jesus knows that those guys know 
Making disciples of all the nations is a big call, but making one disciple is a big call. It's not easy. It requires incredible intentionality and investment, and you can't make a disciple of Jesus without the help of Jesus. It's not going to happen. So first of all, we have to care about it. First of all, we have to understand it is the call of every Christian to be a disciple maker. Are you supposed to be a disciple? Yes. Then you're supposed to be a disciple maker. Okay, so all throughout the room, there's different responses to that. A few of you are probably like, yes, let's do it. A few of you are like, no, that sounds scary. Okay, and for, for all of the no, that sounds scary folks in the room, can I just bring you to the words of the master, please? All authority has been given to me, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. I realize all of us, if we were self-aware enough to realize it, are unqualified to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We will need his help. But we need to know that he still asked us to do it, he still commanded us to do it, and he still promised to equip us to do it. Amen. This will bring some focus for you to your life if you'll let it. All of the things that we do, all the decisions we make, all the, all the things we are doing should be shaped by this greater thing, this big call of God for every person that's going to follow Jesus to call other people along to follow Jesus, to be a part of the process of making disciples. Should cause some questions for us, um, and hopefully we'll get some answers to those, okay? Uh, the, the difficulty of making disciples, not only on a grand global scale, but also on, on a one-on-one scale, the, the difficulty of that just, I think, is one of the reasons why oftentimes it's, it's not done. Um, people kind of come to faith in Christ and then, oftentimes just hit neutral. They, they think of it in, in like personal terms. Well, great, now I'm not going to go to hell. Cool. Um, and, and now I'm going to try to, you know, do less bad stuff and heaven's on the way, right? Like that's, that's kind of sometimes the mentality, not understanding that automatically to, to receive the good news of the gospel, to be transformed by the grace and the mercy of Christ is to automatically be drafted into then this, this, this redemption plan, which includes at its center point, the making of disciples. You absolutely are called to be a disciple maker if you've put faith in Christ. But you don't have to do it alone. Um, everything Jesus did while he was ministering upon the earth was tied to discipleship. I'm going to say that again because it's a, when you say everything, I know that's a big call and I know that's an absolute word and, I, and I'm, I'm saying it intentionally. Everything Jesus did while he was ministering upon the earth was tied to discipleship. Jesus was the best there ever was at accomplishing the mission of making disciples, and we see him accomplish this mission by teaching, training, and living as an example in three different settings. And when I go through this, I'm hoping that it'll qualify for you my big statement that everything Jesus did was tied to the the mission of disciple making, okay? Because in case you're like, well, okay, this is just... Okay, Pastor Vince is soaked on discipleship this week, so you know when I, we're, he's going to get real amped up about that. No, 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 no. This, this, is, this is a timeless, eternal principle. If we're going to be a part of the redemptive plan of God, discipleship, that's part of why this is a feature of the mission of our church. We're never going to stop talking about this. this is, I'm not amped about it this week, and next week I'm going to be really stoked on, uh, you know, let's, let's find all the angels' names in the Bible and, and find out all we can about them. That's great, man. You want to know all the angels' names in the Bible, that's cool. I don't know if I can name them all, but I'm, I'm never going to get inordinately focused on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be totally, always, supremely and centrally focused upon loving God, loving people, and making disciples because I am convinced, and I hope you're getting convinced, at least you're on the way to getting convinced that if we love God, love people, and make disciples, all of the rest of what this book asks of us will fall into place. But I'm struggling with sin. Yeah, I know, but if you take upon yourself seriously, the yoke of being a disciple maker, that will be one more reason you will choose not to sin when the opportunity comes, because you will understand that whether or not you do this thing you're tempted to do has ramifications far beyond whether or not it's just going to mess up your life and and what you can see through your peripheral, but you're going to understand that if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you are called to be a disciple maker for Jesus, thus you are tied into the overall redemptive plan of God throughout history, and what you do or don't do matters. Being a disciple maker will help you defeat sin. Loving God and loving people and thus being willing to lay down and sacrifice your life to be a disciple maker will help you defeat sin. 
you'll be less selfish by the authority and the power of Christ. It won't just be because you make a decision to do so. Okay, we see Jesus teaching, training, and living as an example in three different settings. Everything he did was tied to discipleship. Let's think about it together. The first setting, large groups, right? It is recorded throughout the New Testament that Jesus taught and even fed large crowds of people. Do, do we need to go do references for that, or do you guys know the New Testament well enough to understand that's true? Yes, many times. The Sermon on the Mount, the most famous one. Many other times, Jesus addressed large crowds and did discipleship through teaching a bunch of people at once. He did do that. Uh, he healed people uh, in front of large crowds. Um, he challenged the Pharisees and stood against sin in front of large crowds. So part of how Jesus' mission and discipleship kind of worked itself out, one of the settings was he, he would teach, train, and be an example to large groups, okay? He also did it in small groups. Uh, as in Matthew 20, verse 17, there's other places as well, but Jesus would pull, it says, Jesus pulled his disciples aside to break down and discuss his teachings at a deeper level. You guys ever remember that? Reading through the Gospels, there'd be a big thing that would happen. The disciples were all standing over there like, what did you say? You know what I mean? Like, they're confused as everybody else. And Jesus is like, come here, boys. Come over here. You guys, huddle up. <laughs> okay, here's what's going on, right? And so he would, he would do the large group thing, but then he would also break it down into a smaller group. Sometimes that group was 70. Sometimes it was 12. Sometimes it was three. So Jesus discipled people in large groups, um, which would be the context I would compare to what we do on Sundays. Jesus also discipled in small groups, which would be the context or setting I would compare to what we do in community groups, all right? And so uh, he would do that. They would break it down on a deeper level in smaller groups. Jesus also discipled one-on-one, -on -one, right? After Jesus rose from the dead, uh, the Bible says he cooked breakfast for his disciples, right, which just still blows me away. What a Savior. The risen Savior, King of glory, conquered sin and death. Come on, guys, I broiled some fish. You know what I mean? Like the, the hands with the nail prints in them was, was making fish for his disciples. Like what a God. You know, what a king. Anyways, that's not the point. Makes the guys breakfast, and then he has this interaction with Peter. The, the, the guys are there, but he gets, there's, he, he gets real focused on just this one-on-one -on -one conversation with Peter. And, and, and if, if you've read this account, hopefully it'll sound familiar to you, but he, he, he says to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And then, and then he, goes, he, ties, he ties Peter's answer to, because Peter's like, of course, I, you know, I, yes, I love you, Lord. Ask him again. Yes, you know I love you, Lord, the third time. You know, Peter's starting to get a little frustrated because he doesn't understand the incredible grace being extended to him, especially since he denied Jesus three times. God, or, you know, God through Christ, let him also, you know, <clears throat> claim him three times in front of other people, but that was cool. But anyways, the whole point of that is he's dealing with Peter one-on-one, -on -one, and then he, when, when he says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus' response is, then, then love my people, right? He says, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. So Jesus, again, there is connecting for us the loving God. If you love Jesus, you're going to love his people. That's what he says to Peter. But he's in this one-on-one -on -one intentional discipleship moment with Peter. And Peter, he's dealing with Peter alone. So Jesus discipled through teaching, training, and example in large groups, small groups, also one-on-one. -on -one. I think another example of that would be um, the woman at the well. You guys remember that? He shows up. This woman's a Samaritan. Uh, he says, give me a drink. There's a little bit of a discourse. Ends up... <clears throat> She starts to want to talk about other auxiliary stuff like, well, the Jews say to worship here and we say to worship here. What do you say? And he's like, you know what? Let's, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the fact, actually, um, that you know, you've had five husbands. How about that, right? So <laughs> the point there being, I think Jesus had the sensitivity and, and the care to talk to her one-on-one -on -one about a situation that maybe if there had been a large or small group around would have caused shame for her and she, her heart would not have been open. She would have been real defensive. But instead, Jesus dealt with her one-on-one. -on -one. He took that moment to disciple her one-on-one. -on -one. And it's really beautiful because she left that interaction. It says she ran into town and started telling everybody about Jesus. That was her reaction. This guy read my mail, and uh, I think he's who he says he is, and went, went in town and just started preaching the glory of Jesus. So Jesus... Uh, in large groups, small groups, and one-on-one, -on -one, discipled people through teaching, training, and example, okay? Uh, and, and so remember, remember what premise I'm proving to you in that. So what, what part of Jesus' ministry was he, not, was he not ministering either to large groups, small groups, or one person? That pretty much covers all that he was doing, yes? Yes. All of that was discipleship. All of that was tied to his overall mission of making disciples. So Jesus did not just 
go here with me, friends. Jesus did not just say at the end as a footnote, oh, hey, there's one other real important thing I want to tell you. Go make disciples. Jesus lived it. He showed them how important discipleship was and then made sure to say it one last time before he ascended to be with the Father. The importance, the preeminence, and the need for emphasis upon discipleship cannot be uh, ignored or denied. Amen. So what does this mean for us? Okay, so if you think about large group discipleship, I would say most of you here are a part of discipleship that we accomplish on Sundays, um, and, and most of you that are here, that's the case, unless you're here for the first time, in which you're welcome to jump in and start being a part of the discipleship we accomplish on Sundays, but how do we do that? Well, we do that through corporate worship, joining together to express our gratitude towards God um, and singing to Him. The Bible commands us to do that. We do that through studying His Word together in this context. Um, we do that by coming together and doing what Hebrews tells us, seeking to spur each other on to love and good works, just getting together in the same space. There's value to that, coming together and um, you know, hugging each other and shaking hands and, and swapping stories through the week of what God's doing and what the challenges are. Uh, some of those things also happen here when we gather together as a larger group. Um, I would say, you know, I would say, I, I just want to give a caveat that a that nominal attendance to what happens on Sundays doesn't mean you're actually a part of the discipleship that is, is being accomplished on Sundays. Um, you've got to come intentional. You've got to come looking to give as much as you're coming to get. Um, you have to be here. And so that would be one th- reason I would say that the current, you know, what is the word I'm looking for? It's a stat, but the full word is a statistic. That's the word, a statistic. One of you shouldn't have been able to help with that. That wasn't that hard. Okay, we'll keep going. The current statistics says the average American is going to uh, gather with God's people uh, every other week at best. I was really blessed today because somebody, somebody said um, that they weren't going to be able to be here and gave the reason why, and it was legitimate. Uh, what do you know? And um, th- then went on to say, you know, I, I legitimately can't be there, but what I'm going to do is listen to a podcast of a sermon that I missed a few weeks ago. Um, and in, in, in so doing, be able to stay connected. And, and I don't know if you understand why that matters, but it just, it, it, it does. It blesses me that somebody cares about, A, giving the accountability of saying, hey, I realize that a normative pattern for somebody that's following Jesus is to gather with his people. So I'm not going to be there. Here's why. There's a real reason. But also, in lieu of that, um, I'm, I'm going to catch up on a sermon that I missed because I know that that's important for me to stay connected with what God's doing in us as a group, as a whole. Bless me. Hope it blesses you, uh, unless you're going, ooh, that's controlling and stuff, in which case you have a bad attitude and you should stop. Okay, moving on. Um, So discipleship is being accomplished in one way. It's one of the ways Jesus did it when we gather together like this. Um, So I would say most of you are a part of that that are here. Many of you are a part of discipleship being accomplished through community groups. Um, I would just... This would be an appeal based on the way Jesus did discipleship. You know, there's a, there's a method to the madness here. I tried to, I tried to make a case for you, and I shouldn't have to work real hard at that, that discipleship is important. We should be a part of the discipleship process, being discipled and making disciples. That, that is, that is a, a vital part of what it means to follow Jesus. And if you're not doing that, I don't know if you're really following Jesus. Is it okay to say that? I said it, so, I mean, it's out there, but... I want to make you feel like you had some input. Um, <laughs> if you're not a part of being a disciple and making disciples, I'm not sure you're really following Jesus. I don't know who you're following, but I don't think it's him because he said, this is how you're going to follow me. You're going to be a disciple and thus a disciple maker. So some of you are a part of doing that through community groups. Um, small groups is a part of how Jesus accomplished this. I don't think we've figured out a better way to do it than him yet. Right? I don't think we will. So <clears throat> I think you... Run that through the grid of what it means for you, okay? <clears throat> so most of you are a part of group discipleship in a large context. Many of you are a part of discipleship in smaller groups. I would hope that, that you, because of your great love for God and thus desire to obey Jesus and all that he commands, I, I hope you see the connection to how discipleship in a smaller group is important and you'll make an effort for that. The third is, uh, so most, many, and then some, I would say, some of you are involved in intentional one-on-one discipleship. And I want to take the fact that it goes like that, most of you 
who are here are a part of the large group deal. Many of you a part of the smaller group. And then I would say some of you are a part of one-on-one intentional discipleship. I want to own some of that and say that I, I don't know there's been a lack of emphasis on it, but maybe to some degree a lack of preparation. The Bible says the job of the leadership of God's church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so I just want you to know the leadership team here is talking about and praying about how to better equip you to um, accomplish the, the, the really important aspect of obeying the command of the Lord to make disciples. And I think in order for us to do that in a circumspect, full way, more of us are going to have to be involved in intentional one-on-one discipleship. And so um, we're going to talk more about what that looks like. Uh, talk about that more often, but also in a really practical way. I, I am currently, and some of the other leaders are helping me sort through essentially all of the material available. Well, some of it, <laughs> some of it got chopped just because of the source, and we know it's goofy. But so all of the halfway decent material that could possibly help us equip you um, to be better disciple makers intentionally in a one-on-one way, we are working on that. And we're praying about it. I, I hope that you will also be praying about it. Maybe you have an idea. Uh, at the end of the day, we're hoping either to find some, some source material or something that's going to help us walk that out in a more faithful way, uh, or if we can't, then we'll, we'll make it ourselves by God's grace. So what we're not going to do is um, just settle for statistics that say, well, you know, Christians in America today are only going to gather with God's people every other week, and <clears throat> you're not going to get them to intentionally invest their life into another person to the degree that it's going to cost them a bunch, you know, because of this, that. Just understand something, man. I'm not going to settle for that stuff ever. I'm not going to do it. I will not do it because the Spirit of God is involved here. So I don't care what the majority of people are doing. I don't care what the stats say. I don't care that, yes, maybe a whole lot of people have decided that following Jesus means, you know, whatever's convenient for me. I don't care. I'm not buying that. I know that's not what it means, and I know most of you refuse to do that as well. And so we're going to keep pressing. We're going to keep pressing ourselves. We're going to keep believing God to be ever more effective um, in, in gospel mission, not less as we go forward. I don't think the call of God is the closer it comes to Jesus returning, we chill out and go into neutral more and more. Does that sound right to you? I would say every day that goes by means we need to be extra intentional and all the more passionate about how it is we get the gospel to people. And disciple making is absolutely the vehicle, the vehicle Jesus gave us for how to participate in his redemptive plan through history. You understand what I mean when I say that? Why did I say the with a lot of emphasis? Because people try to do this a lot of different ways. Jesus told us how to do it. Be disciple makers. Follow my example. Do what I did. It works, but it looks hard. Yes, but it works. Why? How? Because God's involved. Because all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, right? And lo, I am with you. That was Jesus, just to be clear. That's not me. I don't have all the authority in heaven and earth. Okay. Jesus poured himself into his disciples for roughly three years. He taught and did so much that John said in 21... uh, that John said in John 21, 25, that um, Jesus did so many things that if they would have been written in detail, that not even the world itself could contain all the books that would be written. So Jesus did a lot in those three years. Um, and, and so I'm saying that to say I know that what I'm about to give you is maybe not exhaustive, but I think it will be at the bare minimum a great launching point. There are many other things that could and should be said about Jesus and the way he discipled, but we're going to focus on three drastic ways that being with the master changed his disciples, okay? Three ways. Um, First of all, each one of them became fishers of men. If they were with Jesus, they ended up becoming a fisher of men. Matthew 4.19 says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Uh, There's so much instruction in their reaction 
Um, I can't say a lot about it other than the, them setting down those nets signified them setting down all of their current economical and familial identity. They were part of their father's fishing business. Jesus said, come follow me. And they said, okay. They set all that down to run and follow him. I'll let you just think about what that means for you. I also want to just say that there is a difference between a fisherman and a guy that fishes. Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? Some people fishing, they go and they throw a line in the water. They stand there a long time and nothing happens, right? Like that's typically my experience with fishing, uh, unless someone takes me to one of those pay lakes um, <laughs> where it's essentially cheating. So I'm, I'm not a, uh, in a natural sense, not a great fisherman. Um, and so I, I think there's, there's something to understanding that what, what Jesus did with his men was not just tell them, uh, you know, just, just, just go out and do whatever seems best to you and, and spread the gospel that way. There, there's, there's an art to it. There's a technique. There's, a, there's, there's an anointing that Jesus was sharing with his men on how to be fishers of men, how to not be somebody that is spending a lot of effort but not seeing any fruit, right? When Jesus is involved, there's, there's going to be fruit. There's going to be there's going to be people coming to Christ. And so um, I, I, I pray that for you and I pray that for myself, that in all that we're doing uh, in, in gospel ministry and, and all that we're doing to try to bring the love of Christ to our city um, and, and to as much of the world as God would give us the, the influence to do, that we're not, um, we're not just doing a bunch of stuff, man. We're not just throwing hooks in the water with no bait. We're not, we're not doing silly stuff that wastes effort and resources, but that we, we are wise about it. And we're good fishers of men because we're learning from the master fisherman, that being King Jesus himself. And so each of the disciples, after spending those three years with Christ, they became fishers of men. They became proficient at speaking of the gospel uh, and speaking about the things of God. Um, and it wasn't awkward. They didn't, it didn't you know, they, they were able to, in everyday situations, able to, to steer the conversation towards things where it ended up having a fruitful effect. Um, they, were, they were fishers of men. They also ended up learning how to become farmers. So they were fishers of men, but Jesus also taught them how to be farmers. Matthew 13 has three parables comparing the kingdom to what farmers do, right? This should sound familiar to at least some of you. Um, Matthew 13 talks about sowing seed. It talks about caring for seed uh, and harvesting it, right? Jesus, in talking about the condition of the world one time, said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The New Testament is full of references to trying to help us understand what God is doing in the world and in us and through us. He uses the example oftentimes of what a farmer does, the, the process of sowing seed, um, caring for seed, and harvesting seed. Um, farmers don't plant a bunch of seed and then leave the area and never come back, right? And sometimes that's what, that's what our evangelism efforts have looked like. Throw a bunch of seed out and, and, and you know, hope, hope something happens. Uh, you're supposed to water that seed, and you're supposed to watch, and you're supposed to care for that seed. And that's, I'm, I'm not saying God never uses evangelistic efforts where it is just a, a scattering of seed, but we can't think that's the whole job. We can't just throw out gospel seed. We have to be willing to pay the price to stay, to water, to watch, to care for, right? And that, that happens most effectively in the context of relationship, that you have the, the proximity then to the people to be able to care for, watch, and water uh, what it is God's doing in their heart. Um, and, and we also need to understand that some of the seed that is sown is never going to germinate, man. Sometimes uh, it falls on rocky soil. Sometimes it falls on, on hard soil that's not going to receive it. That's tragic, but it doesn't mean we stop planting. It doesn't mean we stop sowing seed. Uh, but the ones that do germinate, they have to be cared for. That's part of what discipleship looks like. Not just giving them the good news of the gospel, but then by example and teaching and training, leading them and showing them uh, how it is to continue to follow Jesus. Um, I think this, this point that the, the disciples... Jesus taught them how to be fishers of men and also farmers. It's a good point or time for me to tell you that discipleship doesn't happen by accident. I think sometimes we act like it does. Like if we just do all the Christian stuff, discipleship is a byproduct, and it's not. Discipleship has to be an intentional, in-the-front thing that we are doing on purpose, um, or else it won't happen. It's not something that happens by accident. Um, one time, 
in, in Natalie and I's first house, we had a very little backyard. It was tiny. Um, and my mother lived with us for a while. It was a difficult situation, and so got her out of that. And we hadn't been married very long, but her and all my brothers and sisters lived with us. It was a real party. But anyways, my mom has lived in a more country setting most of her life, and so living in Cincinnati was difficult for her to some degree just because it was more urban context and uncomfortable. And so um, she pleaded with me to till up a garden in this already little backyard um, and almost like the reverse of um, a mother-child situation. Most of the time, it's kids like, I want a puppy. I'll feed it. I promise. I'll do everything. I'll walk it. I'll clean up its poo. You know, I'll do all the things. Just If you just get me the puppy. And so she's telling me, if you just till this garden up, I will plant the stuff. I will take care of it. I will weed it. I'll do it. You don't have to do anything, but I can't till it just if you'll till it up for me. So, all right, I'll buy that. I go to Home Depot, and I rent the biggest tiller. I'm not going to get the little one, you know, of that, of course. I get the biggest one, right, that, like, you have, you know, you get to sign a waiver to get this thing because it could kill you. And so I go in the backyard, and I probably tilled up half of that thing. I'm like, you want a garden? I'm going to give you a garden, you know. So I tilled up, like, half the yard. And uh, glory to God, she never planted a thing. <laughs> not one thing. So here I have my itty-bitty yard is tilled up. <laughs> Half of it's gone. It's just nothing. Um, and so I didn't have time to plant anything. I didn't have time to mess with it. So there it is. It just sat there. And the one thing, you know, the one thing I thought I was going to get out of this is I've really always enjoyed um, homegrown tomatoes are just different than what you get in the store. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but, man, I can eat a homegrown tomato like an apple. Uh, they're super good. And so I was thinking, man, she'll plant some tomatoes. I'll, you know, that'll be worth this incredible effort I'm putting forth and money I'm spending. And... Um, she didn't plan a thing, but this curious thing happened. I would say two months after uh, I tilled that thing up, this God is my witness, man. Like seven tomato plants came up in this garden, and we never planted not a thing. And so my first reaction is I step out on the back porch, and I'm like, the Lord sent little cherubs with tomato seeds and planted me some tomatoes. Like, look at Jesus. You know what I mean? I'm like... And then I looked to my right, and my neighbor had tomatoes on their porch, and there was birds on them. And so I figured out what actually probably happened was that birds dropped some tomato seeds into my garden. But either way, God could have orchestrated that. He didn't have to use angels. Maybe he used those birds. But either way, on accident, we got tomato plants. And they grew, and it was sweet. Like, once they started coming up, I threw some water on them every once in a while, and I got some tomatoes. So I think God honored my diligent labor uh, to bless my mama. But anyways, that was an accident. We had tomatoes by accident. Discipleship's not like that. It ain't going to happen. Um, you, you, do, you till that thing up and just walk away, people, people, it's not, people aren't going to grow like that. And, and I guess I'll say this. I think God is gracious, and so I think many times in the church we've done a bad job at this. We'll till some soil. We may, even, we may even throw some seed out, but maybe we've not done a good job even explaining to people what it's going to cost them and what it really looks like to be a part of the discipleship process. And I think God does graciously sometimes send other means in order for that process to continue, but that's not plan A. You understand what I'm saying? Plan A is that we obey God's command to make disciples. And we do it because we love him and we love those people that he loves, right? Amen. So don't take my tomato story and use it as ammo to not obey the command to make disciples, all right? That's not the point of that story. Well, what was the point? I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Other than to give you a reverse example of what I was saying. Discipleship needs intention. And it's not plan A to have surprise tomatoes in the backyard, all right? Surprise disciples is not God's plan. God's primary plan is for us to obey him and understand that he gave us this command for a reason. And he used the entirety of his ministry to give us an example of what it looks like to do this for a reason. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus didn't just talk the talk on this. Yes? He walked the walk, for sure. Okay. Praise God. Jesus turned his men into fishers of men, farmers, and friends. John 15, 15, Jesus says this, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Do you guys understand that the God of the universe became friends with these men? What does, that, what does that mean? That means he became vulnerable with them. That means he became close to them. That means he, he says here that whatever God has given me, I've given to you guys. He was open. 
he, he delved into all of the vulnerability and everything that it costs to be a real friend. He let these guys in close, and he got close to them. I think that's beautiful on so many levels. First of all, just to know that I'm in that, that, that Jesus wants to be my friend, um, that he knows all about me, even the stuff I hide from everybody else or try to, and he still wants to be my friend. Um, the fact that he's that, that humble and approachable is incredible. There's no other, you know, everyone always wants to say, oh, Christianity and all the other religions are the same. Nah, I don't think the Greek gods were like being friends <laughs> with mere mortals. There's always this sense of separation and um, and the only separation between us, us and God was, was our problem. It was the sin we caused, but then he did everything necessary to fix that so that we could be friends again because that's what he wanted. That's what he made us for. I mean, wow, right? But I think Jesus' relationship with his disciples, the fact that he made them friends, that was him again teaching them what it's going to cost a disciple. Why are we saying this? Because in order for you to disciple effectively, you're going to have to open up your relational vulnerability. You're going to have to pay the price to have actual deep relationships. Walk with people to such a degree that they know you and you really know them. That's what Jesus did with these guys. If discipleship was possible without friendship, don't you think the one example you would have is Jesus with his guys, right? Like if it wasn't actually needed to be a part of the process, then I'm sure Jesus could have pulled that off. But he didn't because he knew that genuine real deal relationship was a part of what it's going to be to walk through life together in a legitimate discipleship relationship where we are being discipled and discipling others. Friendship is required. Um, but what a beautiful requirement, right? Like if you think about it, I know some of you have a ton of um, baggage in this area because you've been burned by opening yourself up to relational vulnerability before. And, and I, I am um, fully, like, I'm a card-carrying member of your ranks, right? Like those that have said bump friendship because... It's easier to just not, um, but, but that's, that's, first of all, those of us that have at times in our lives, or maybe right now you're convinced that that's the right route, the, the safety and protection you think you gain through going that way actually doesn't yield as much joy as you think it does. It actually leads a bunch of misery and, and loneliness, and also, um, it's just unacceptable for those that are followers of Christ, to shut themselves off and to not be willing to be open to the beauty of friendship. Friendship is incredibly important. It's a part of the discipleship process. Jesus made his men into fishers of men, farmers, and they became his friends. I think we should ask God to help us be excited for the privilege of real friendship through the process of discipleship. My great hope for you is that Realizing that friendship is a part of what this is going to be um, is not something that ends up being a, um, a point of begrudging obedience for you, but it's something you can actually be excited about. And, and, and for those of you who, again, are feeling the pangs of terror as you realize I'm right and that friendship is going to be required for you to be a part of obeying God and discipleship, let me say to you again, let me remind you of the words of our master, because discipleship as a whole, you need this comfort. But for some of you, just this specific area that friendship is going to be a part of what discipleship looks like, you need this comfort again. I know you've been hurt. I know some of you are broken. I know that's not real exciting right now. But all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And lo, he is with you, even to the end of the age. I know some of you don't have it in you to be the kind of friend that's going to be required to be able to be discipled and be a disciple maker. But Jesus will help you. You just need to come to the table and understand that it's right and then begin to ask him for the grace to do it. Don't jump out of this thing because you know you can't. I know you can't. That's no surprise. I can't either. We need him. That's why when he dropped this bomb in Matthew 28 on us, he said, guys, I got it. I got the power and I'm with you. Amen. I also just want you to remember, and I, I, I've, I've said this in several contexts recently because it's, it's part of how Jesus is keeping me sane. Um, he's helping me. As, as you open yourself up to and participate in the discipleship process, you are going 
to encounter difficulty. You are going to open up sometimes to people, and you're going to be friends with them, and you're going to try to teach them how to be farmers, and you're going to learn from them. You're going to get close, and then sometimes they're going to do crazy stuff. Sometimes they're going to run and rebel against God. I want to call to your attention, even here in Matthew 28, verse 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some were doubtful. Some were doubtful all the way to this point, right? Like we are right before the ascension here, which means we've had a resurrection. We've had breakfast on the beach with resurrected Jesus. We've had the stone rolled away. We've had angels, all the stuff, right? You guys know the story. And some doubted all the way up to right here. Okay, so we, and, and, and what did Jesus do, right? Did he like, did he stop what he was doing and say, okay, you four, you're still doubtful, <laughs> lightning bolt, right? Like, I think that's what I would have done, but he's working on me too. So, no, he didn't do that. He still called to them the same way he called to the others, and he was gracious and patient with them. You know, Jesus had a Thomas, man. Jesus spent three years, and Thomas doubted till he was able to touch the holes from the wounds. He, the leader, the guy that he spent one-on-one time with a lot, Peter, denied him three times after the three-year camping trip of discipleship. Even Jesus had Judas, who just full out, straight up, betrayed him. So as we open ourselves up to the reality of discipleship, the vulnerability and the friendship of discipleship, and we're in this process, and we're in each other's lives to the degree that we can actually effectively do this, there is going to be times when you're going to be let down simply because you have actually jumped into this thing and it's still right and you still need to do it. And when you feel broken about it and crushed by it, you need to take comfort in the fact that the master, the master disciple maker experienced the exact same thing. That simple fact has kept me from quitting before. Just, just so you know, because there's been days when it's like, there's four or five people that done lost their mind, right? And I've poured tons of individual time into them, right? And I've done everything I can to try to lead them towards Jesus, and I've opened my heart to them, and blah, 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 and I've done all the things. And it's like, if, you know, what Satan's whispering in my ear is like, if you, so if you were actually effective, man, that wouldn't happen. And so that makes me want to go, okay, well, let me get out of the game then, because I don't want to do that anymore because it hurts, right? Um, but if King Jesus himself had to be patient and long-suffering with his disciples, right? You remember when he said, how long do I need to be with you? Like, that's like a Hebrew facepalm, you know? There was many times he was frustrated with these guys and not just at the beginning. And that leads us to the last point I want to tell you, and that's discipleship is going to cost us something. Discipleship is going to cost us something. Let me read you this. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Just want to zero in on, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I just want to have full open disclosure. I'm not going to pull a bait and switch on you because I don't think the Lord did. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, this is going to cost you. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. You're going to have to deny yourself. There's many times you're not going to want to do what is required in order to obey me and follow me. You're not going to feel like it. And yet... If you're going to follow me, you're going to do something you don't feel like. Because here's the, here's the truth, friends. If we're going to actually participate in the beautiful, redemptive work of discipleship, it is absolutely going to cost us a great deal. But it will not cost us anywhere near what it costs Jesus to provide for us the opportunity to be able to make disciples. It is going to cost us vulnerability. It is going to cost us time and investment and intentionality. It's going to cost us carrying our cross daily. It's going to cost us for sure. But the cost we pay does not even, can't even be measured against the immense and eternal 
cost of Christ going to the cross, suffering the death of a thief, the shameful death, torture of a thief by the very creation that he came to save. There is a cost for us. But we're the ones, <laughs> we're the ones that created the cost for Jesus in the first place, guys. I mean, just, it's, people always think in terms of fairness. And, and, and I hear people say things God asks of us or, or things God does are not fair. And it just, it blows my mind because if anything's unfair about what we're talking about right here, God makes us perfect. We sin against him. He comes up with a solution. He pays all the costs, allows us to receive righteousness by faith in his finished work. We cause the problem. He solves the problem. We incur the debt. He pays the debt. And then he asks us to be a part of letting other people know that their debt has been paid and, and, and giving them an opportunity to, to be trained and taught and an example of what it looks like to really trust in this Jesus who loves us this much. Where, where is the fairness in that? Who, if somebody got an unfair deal, it's the God of the universe on this one, the perfect holy God who had to pay everything for people that half the time aren't thankful for it anyways. It's not, the gospel isn't fair. What the Bible describes is absolutely not fair. But it's not that it's not fair to us. It's not fair to him. And he doesn't care. He didn't care about fairness. He has accomplished both justice and mercy from his perspective. And that's all that matters. Discipleship will cost us, but not nearly as much as it costs our king. That's why we have to remember the gospel constantly. Because as the, as the, the effort of discipleship and as the cost of discipleship, as it comes into view and as we more and more understand what it is it's going to require of us, we have to keep in view the cross and remember that whatever price we're paying will never come close to touching the price Jesus paid so that we could be a disciple and or disciple others. And that should help us to stay grateful. That should help us to keep from whining and complaining about being involved in the most beautiful, redemptive rescue mission that has ever uh, been gone out upon. Um, I'm so thankful God has included us in his plan. May we be a people who take the mission of discipleship seriously. May we joyfully pick up our cross and follow our master because he loves us and we love him. May we refuse to settle for anything less than truly obeying the call to make disciples, knowing it is for our good and God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have not been unclear. You've not been confusing about what it is you expect of us. Thank you that you've been clear about what it is you've done and what it is you expect us to do as a result of your great work upon the cross, your resurrection from the dead, your triumphant conquering of sin and death. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to love you after you've loved us first, to love others and to make disciples. Thank you, Lord, that this making of disciples flows out of that first commandment. The, mo the second most important thing we got to do is to make disciples out of obedience to you, but that flows from the first, which is loving you and loving people. Because if we love you, we're going to want to obey you. And if we love other people, we're going to want to teach them and be an example for them of how it is they can find hope and joy and peace in this life and for eternity with you. Thank you, Lord, for the call to make disciples. Thank you, Lord, it's not an unfair burden upon us. Thank you that you did not just lay this incredible task of making disciples in, in our cities and in our country and in the entirety of the globe. Lord, you didn't just lay that upon us. You first told us that you have the power to do it and that you're going to be with us helping us to do it. So I thank you, God, we don't have to rely on ourselves. I thank you that every part of this that is intimidating for us, uh, we can set that fear aside and we can trust you, Lord. The question is not, can we accomplish this incredible mission? The question is, can you? And do we want to be a part of it? And Lord God, we say that we do. Absolutely, we want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. We want to be a part of your beautiful, redemptive rescue mission. We want to get as many people as possible the hope 
of this precious gospel. So God, we just ask that you would be faithful to your word, that you would anoint us and equip us for this. I ask God that you would give us um, clarity on, on exactly how it is in our context, in 2017 in, in America, how we can best uh, do this. Because there may be different methods. The, the, the message is always the same, but there may be tweaks to the way we go at it um, that would be uh, from you, Lord, that would be ideas that you would have and ways you could help us to contextualize this, this gospel mission and this disciple-making mission. So, God, we just humbly submit ourselves. We, we, say, uh, we say right out in the open, we don't have all the answers. We don't necessarily know what to do, but we are determined to obey you, whatever that means. Uh, you're worthy of that kind of commitment, and you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our love, and you're worthy of our obedience. We give you all glory and praise, O oh God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.